This week on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we ask the question. How do you crave cucumber? Well, you think to yourself, man, I could go for some cucumber right now. Rotten or Righteous, the only show that would be able to make Bob Ross scream in frustration. With me today, as always, his Italian name would be Giuseppe Smithatino. He's Luke Taylor. He once said, everyone knows that Thursday night is my night to record with my boys, so it makes sense that he has a hard out in 15 minutes. He's Scott Judge. And I'm the glue that holds this show together, which explains why I appear to be made out of dead horse hooves. I'm Zach Geiler. All right, let's get into the episode. We open up with Mary Mags walking through a lumpy apple orchard. Not that the apple orchard itself is lumpy, but the (laughs) apples growing on the tree are these weird apple-looking tomato hybrids that are, that are, they're pretty tumorous. On a dead tree. Yeah, they're growing all. This tree's dead. It's like all dead. And yet it's growing this abundant harvest. And keep in mind that this tree, if you were to have to choose a tree to hide behind, this would not be the tree. So it makes sense that when Mary sees a Roman off in the distance being met by another Roman and she reacts to these two Romans as if she just saw the love child of Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Jared from Subway jumping out of her closet, that she would hide behind this sickly dead tree with weird tomatoes growing on it. Now, they weren't growing on it. The production company glued those on it five seconds before they were going to shoot the scene. They look like some kind of an ornament from like a a terrible Christmas tree. I think they went to the Creation Museum. And when uh, Ken Ham wasn't looking, they stole all of the fruit off of the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil. Because the Creation Museum goes way out of the way to make sure that you don't confuse that fruit with an apple. Well, whatever she was eating, she, I mean, she was, I don't know what I was going to say there. I had a thought. But it didn't materialize. So please continue. <laughs> hey guys, I got people that just came in. Bye, Scott. <laughs> Bye. Hey, I'm going to go uh, on this episode. I don't know. Street, street twenty threes. All right. So there you have Scott's rating. We're going to spend the rest of this episode telling you why he's wrong. Oh. All right. We, I'm going to disagree with that. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. Hey, you know what? Make it up for me as you go. So, all right, guys, I'll talk to you later. See ya. Bye. The Romans ride away, and Mary is left crying with her crumpled up memory work. And we're left to ask the questions why is Mary so afraid of the Romans? Why is she so upset when she noticed how crumpled her memory work was? She could just kind of smooth it out. What? Oh, no. Stupid theme song. <sighs> it never lets me finish my questions. My question was, why is she so bad at memory work? Like, 
her memory verse is two lines. I think I could quote it now, and I haven't even memorized it. Now, let me say that now. I was terrible. I am terrible at rote memory work. I could not do it in, in preaching school. I can't do it now. I can I can summarize a verse like nobody's business. But I was the student that if the teacher said you have to choose between first Samuel five and eight to memorize a three verse passage, you better believe that that night I was going through to find the passage with the least amount of words or uh, the least amount of syllables in order to do that. Even if it's a passage that makes no sense or I'll never need in my preaching life. So you and Mary Magdalene have this in common. You are kind of similar in a lot of ways, I think. Not really, because I've never once crumpled up my memory work. I, I have, in a sense, I was frustrated because I could not do memory work. But I've never once looked at crumpled up memory work and just cried because it was crumpled. <laughs> not, not once in preaching school? Not once. I mean, maybe Greek memory work. Maybe, I mean, yeah, really. Greek memory work has brought me to tears a couple of times. But, but never just a, a regular passage in the language that I speak. After the opening theme song, we're back with Jesse, the paralytic who was healed by Jesus at the end of episode four called The Perfect Opportunity. Jesse is being interrogated by Schmuel and Schmuel's friend that I still do not know the name of. I don't know either. Basically, they want to know what in the world happened by the Bethesda pool last Shabbat. They wanted to know about the guy that healed him. And Jesse's like... Guys, I already told you everything I know. He told me that his name was Jesus. That's it. The Sanhedrin guys are like, okay, was anyone else with this Jesus guy? And Jesse responds, I think there were three of them. One was taking notes. One said something to me, but I was too busy uh, with my awesome new legs to pay attention. Fair point. Then Jesse turns to the Pharisee, Shmuel's friend, the one who scolded him after the miracle for picking up his mat, and he turns to him and goes, you know, if you weren't busy yelling at me about picking up my stuff, I might have gotten a better look at the guy. <laughs> Touche, Jesse. Touche. I think Jesse's one of my favorite characters so he far. He really is. I love him. Every scene, he's hopping around like a little bunny because he can do that now. He really does just embody this this attitude of somebody that can walk, who have never been able to do that before. Finally, Jesse remembers that Jesus said something about visiting his cousin. Well, although the Pharisees just pointed out that there are about 3,000 Jews in Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths named Jesus, apparently only one of these 3,000 Jesuses has a cousin. So the Pharisees end the interrogation by explaining, we've got him. This must be Jesus of Nazareth. And I say, what? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't make the connection there either. Was, <laughs> I did like the fact that they mentioned that there's so many people who are named Jesus, because I feel like a lot of people read the Bible and they're like, oh, there's only one guy named Jesus. No, there's there's several Jesuses. Simon Bar Jesus, for one. But I just, I, they make a giant leap from Jesse's like, hey, he did say he was visiting his cousin. Ah, only one Jesus has a cousin. It's that Nazarene Jesus. But as Them Pharisees, though, were good at connecting the dots. Yeah, they were good at creating the dots. As Jesse is walking out of the temple complex, and again, he is walking with a man who just loves going down steps. I've never once seen someone more happy that steps were in their life. <laughs> but as he's walking out of the temple complex where he was being interrogated, he's stopped by Atticus, 
You may remember him as the Roman inspector that was planning on killing Simon the Zealot last episode. Atticus heard the news that a lame man walks, and he just wanted to see it for himself. And Atticus tells Jesse, I believe it was a miracle. It's too bad the Sanhedrin would have your head if you started shouting about miracles. You must have someone you can share the good news with. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Atticus just looks slimy. The smile on his face was like exactly what I would expect. Somebody who was faking that he was enjoying what he was hearing. I will say that Atticus being our main antagonist this season is a thousand million times better than Quintus. I will never say a negative thing about Atticus because not one time have I had to see Quintus's stupid bald head. Not one time. Quintus has been in... Hasn't he been no. in season two? Like they kind of do no. like, and I know you, and they? I know you watched this season all the way through earlier. So you just told me that at some point this season, I'm going to have to deal with stupid <laughs> Quintus. Why did oh, you ruin yeah, it? No, I, I was so <laughs> happy for a minute. Oh, yeah, Quintus is coming back uh, with all this shiny-headed glory. By the way, dear listeners, if you listen to me and you say, there's something nasally about Zach. No, I didn't take Jerry Seinfeld's talking course or course on talking, master class on talking. That's the joke I was trying to make. I'm dying from some sort of flu bug. Come back to the show. So Atticus is like, hey, maybe got somebody close to you that you might want to tell about your little miracle. And just like, man, you know, I would love nothing more than to shout from the rooftops that I've got some legs now. It's a good thing I ran to my brother. Hey, do you know my brother? His name's Simon. He's a member of the ancient Hobbit Hole Zealot Hit Squad. Anyways, my brother thinks, and seriously, this is between you and me, Mr. Strange Man I just met and know nothing about. My brother thinks... <laughs> That this guy that healed me is probably, you know, the Messiah. And Atticus is like, man, you're really dumb for telling me all that information, but thank you. And also, that's some theory. Says that's marvelous. Then we cut to Simon doing his prayers, practicing Lamaze, and doing some choreographed dance fighting moves. There was nothing intimidating about this scene with Simon because seriously he's sitting there and he he does some prayers and then he goes like what is he doing is he preparing to give birth does he have a kidney stone he needs to take care of in that moment what is what is happening with the breathing I think it was something with the spirit you know because they like associate the spirit with the breath and he was uh, apparently invigorating his spirit through free diving exercises. I don't think so. I think what he was doing was Dallas said, hey, we need to make sure that everyone knows that Simon the Zealot's a real tough guy. So I want you to breathe a whole bunch for some reason and then also pretend that you're putting on a stage production of the Disney movie Mulan. <laughs> hey, I thought his uh, his presentation was pretty I, good. I wondered if they got a stunt double or if he did that. Well, he's such a good actor <laughs> that... There's no way that they just went to the local dojo down in Texas where they're filming and they're like, hey, you got a student here with curly hair that can do some kicks? Oh, you mean Jeremy? Yeah. Can he act? No, not really. Great. Bring him on. 
I think he is a pretty good actor. I like that guy. He just, it just, his dance moves are so choreographed, it's stupid. But after Simon is done doing his choreographed dance fighting moves, in the distance, someone starts playing what sounds like a spooky noise CD that you can buy at any seasonal Halloween store. And Simon does what anyone does when they hear a strange noise. He climbs a tree. Trees play a big part in this episode. Anytime anyone is scared, tree. Does it conceal you? Not at all. But you wouldn't, if, if you were walking through the forest, right, and you were, uh, you know, there's, there's a better chance at least of not being seen in the tree. And then you can pounce on people with your knife and just now, hold on a second. in them if right there. I hear a strange noise when I'm in the forest, I will not be climbing a tree. That is a physical. What if it was like oh, someone that's yelling? A physical impossibility for me. <laughs> well, you you need to practice it the breathing techniques. Would be more of Simon, life, and you'll be able to. It would be more life threatening for me to climb a tree in order to get away from a murderer than to just face the murderer head on. <laughs> or you just have a heart attack and fall out? Truly, of either that, or I'd slip and my gut would get poked by a branch. That'd get infected and I'd die of sepsis. Actually, probably your hair would get caught in the tree. You'd pull an Absalom and or your beard and that would be the end of you. Maybe. So I think the tree strategy is a good one. I would climb a tree. Sure. If I heard somebody screaming in the forest and I wanted to observe them, I'd climb a tree. Great. Well, it's a good thing that Simon does climb a tree because to my absolute surprise, a turban-wearing zombie just comes out of nowhere and walks right through Simon's camp. Like, he, like they stole sound effects from The Walking Dead for this zombie dude. He's like... Did they? I don't, I, I don't know what I expect a, an actual demon-possessed person was like, but... For some reason, it was not what we got in this show. I don't expect a zombie. That's exactly what I thought he looked like at the very beginning. It was like, why is there a zombie walking through the set of The Chosen? This doesn't make sense. Jenkins is really going off book. Talk about taking poetic license. He's throwing zombies in the Bible. I don't know what I imagine. It wasn't this, though. I feel like did you, the demon possessed probably came in all kinds of varieties. Did you imagine that, the, that being uh, demon possessed... A demon-possessed zombie uh, that you would have the ability to speak with the voice of Severus Snape and have incredibly good uh, smell ability capability. Uh, no, Severus Snape maybe because smell. Never that's the of that. first thing that this zombie demon-possessed guy says. He is like. <laughs> <laughs> He can smell you, so I can smell you, Potter. Like, what in the world is happening? (laughs) So apparently this demon is able to track righteous people because they smell different. There's a thousand different directions you could have gone to have the demon have an ability to, to detect holiness or being in the presence of holiness. Why did you go with smell? Because he could smell Jesus on him. What else would he do? I don't know. What other Why senses couldn't he just be like, you? oh, I see your soul. Demons can't see your soul, Zach. They can't smell your... your you can't, they can't smell Jesus either. The, the same amount of information that says know? demons smell people 
and demons could see souls are equal. So my statement that the demon could see someone's soul, I'm not talking about their hearts or their intention. I'm just saying something about their spiritual aura, if you will, uh, uh, exudes something that shows that they're in close proximity with the Lord has the exact merit as saying, it smells Messiah-y in here. Someone had curry for lunch. What in the world is happening? (laughs) (laughs) The demon-possessed guy looks at Simon after he's like, I can smell you, Potter. And he's like, hey, you're you're a zealot, right? Great. Um, Could you just kind of kill me? Please? Pretty please? (laughs) Cherry on top? You just... Just murder me real quick. That'd be real great. But Simon's like, I'm not falling for that trick again. What, you think I'm just going to kill you so the demon can just run off and ruin someone else's day? No thanks. You're stuck with it, pal. So the zealot skips away, leaving the zombie demon-possessed man to make strange noises in the woods. (laughs) Then we come to another weird, weird scene. Jesus, Andrew, Peter, and Philip are walking along the banks of the Jordan looking for John the baptizer. And if you think that John spots them from a ways away and calls out, hey guys, I'm over here. And they have a nice little reunion with Jesus's cousin. Man, you're wrong and you should feel stupid for thinking that. Instead, John jumps out from some bushes and screams like Howard Dean when he came in third at the Iowa caucus. Now, for those of you who don't get that joke, because I hope we do skew to a younger demographic, Howard Dean was a Democratic presidential candidate who got a little excited after getting third place in the in, in Iowa, and he was trying to cheer up his supporters the night of the caucus, and he went on to list a number of state primaries that he said he was going to win. He didn't, but he said he was going to win them, followed by just a strange and guttural scream. He said, and then we're going to take back the White House. Yeah. I thought that, you know, he got a bad rap for that. Yeah. I mean, you could get away with that in 2020, but back in 2006, we were a little bit more, uh, or 2004, we were a little bit more, uh, we held our politicians to a higher standard. Like if Joe Biden would have exerted that much energy, like if I could just see him one time have that much energy, I might, I might even vote for him. No, he would have an aneurysm and drop dead. He is a sickly, (laughs) sickly old man. Oh, but this is the best part about how the, the speech Howard Dean gave. Um, it became known as the Dean Scream or the more hilarious I Have a Scream speech. <laughs> Whatever you call it, Howard Dean never became president. Now, I will play the audio of the Dean Scream now. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. And we're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! Now here's the scream done by John the Baptist in The Chosen. We passed Jericho a while ago. Near is a relative term. And John's never where you expect him to be. (laughs) 
See why I made the comparison? And this has been this week's edition of Zach Explains the Obscure Cultural Reference. (laughs) It is eerily similar. (laughs) So stupid. I do not like the way they did John the Baptist. No, not at all. But uh, after I don't know what I imagine, but not this guy. Well, it makes sense. They've been calling him Creepy John for the past thirty-seven episodes. So he, yeah, I feel like he's just like a he's Peter's character, just a little bit crazier. Yeah, but uh, after John screams and scares everyone, and then and then greets everyone, uh, the baptizer's like, "Hey, I know we just saw each other the first time in a, a few maybe years, uh, but did you guys hear?" That uh, Herod Anapis just married his brother's wife slash niece. So now, man, now I've got to go back to Jerusalem and yell at them for being gross. <laughs> and that's the whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, John. <laughs> we'll get back to you in a minute. <laughs> back at the Chosen's camp, Mary, Mags, and Rama are having a reading lesson. Now, keep in mind that it was just a few weeks ago, real time. That uh, Rama admitted that that she could not read. Well, when we're introduced to these two women, Rama is, is very close to being a, a fluent reader, which is just amazing because that just means Mary Max, former demon-possessed prostitute, unspoken leader of the apostles, and a master reading teacher. What a hero. She's amazing. Anyone's going to teach you to... Yeah, she is. I mean, what do you expect? Record times for reading out of Mary Mags. Now, to be fair, we may have spoke too soon about her being a hero because Rama asks Mary a simple grammatical question. But she asks the one question that Mary does not know the answer to. And the one thing you do not do around Mary Mags is ask her a question that she doesn't know because she about rips Rama's head clean off right here. So Mary gets real mad for no reason. And Rama's like, you all right there, double M? Why don't we just take a little break? And Mary Mags spits back, You shut your mouth, you illiterate grape stomper. I'm Mary Mags. I'm the dang patter familias. I'm the smartest woman who ever lived. How dare you point out something I don't know? Uh. So I don't know what her issue is, but Mary Mags is just a frustrated jerk to Rama at this point. And Rama's an excellent student. Like I said, weeks she went from not being able to read at all to being nearly completely uh, uh, literate. Now, nearby, Matthew and Thomas are watching the reading lesson, and Matthew asks Thomas, who is currently slicing a delicious-looking cucumber, Matthew asks, hey, bro, what's up with Mary Mags? She's flipping out for some reason, teaching Rama. What's her problem? Now, Thomas is like, I don't know what her problem is, but I'll tell you what my problem is. You. You little woman stealer, I see you. Can't play little first century Rain Man with me. I know you're trying to to step up to Rama. Rama's my boo. I'm stuck cooking dinner while the rest of the Chosen are out running errands. Plus, I'm stuck cooking dinner with you. And and you know what? You're just a big, big girlfriend-stealing, arrogant guy. I feel like Matthew... um, You think Matthew will end up with Rama in the end? I hope not. I feel like Thomas is going to get... He's going to get his heart broken. But it is important to know that Matthew does take offense to Thomas, uh, Thomas's quote because he's like, arrogant? Me? I'm not arrogant. I'm the most humblest guy I know, which I say that all the time. That's on my business cards. 
says Zach Geiler. The humblest guy. Minister. I know. The humblest guy I know. I feel like if you're passing out business cards, you automatically are not the humblest person in the world. But uh, Thomas does go. Unless. Unless. Unless you're offering free hugs to people. Or your business card is for a business card company. And if they use your business card, there's a little code on the back. They can get 25 off their first purchase of business cards. And 5% is donated to the orphans. Right. That would what be, orphans? That'd be different. The orphans. The orphans. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just some orphans somewhere. Yeah, so Matthew's like, I'm not arrogant, and I'm not trying to get with Rama. And so I was like, whatever you say, tax boy. Always getting Rama tablets to write on. I know romance when I see it. <laughs> and then Matthew, he he's just like, I'm done with this conversation. You know, you're real illogical when you're angry. And while this is going down, Simon the Zealot is back up in another tree. This is the third tree that we've had this episode. <laughs> he's not in a tree. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Go back and watch it again. He's in a tree. Do they actually show him in yes. the tree? Yes, they do. He is crouched on the branch well, of a tree outside of their camp, just watching Mary Mags take a little frustrated walk. Uh, he's guarding them. You know, he's like the the hawk in the tree guarding from the, the weasels. Sure. And a weasel is about to show up. Can I just say that whatever vegetables they were cutting and fruit, was not what Mary Magdalene picked because <laughs> no. they all look like immaculate. They were not lumpy. And then Mary Magdalene's out here picking freaking mutant fruit off the, the tree. But none of that actually made it back to camp because she had a, a spaz attack and she dropped it all. My biggest, uh, seriously, since I've seen this episode, I have been craving a cucumber so bad. I'm a little bit disappointed that I forgot to text Kelsey and ask her to pick me up a cucumber. But Thomas slicing that cucumber made me want some cucumber. A little salt. Mm. How do you crave cucumber? Well, you think to yourself, man, I could go for some cucumber right now. I need to try uh, his recipe with cucumber and lemon. That might be pretty good. Right. Couldn't Where do you get a lemon in first century Judea. I gotta be honest do with you. Uh, uh, I'll be honest with you. I do not know whether or not lemons grow. The only thing I know... Uh, that actually grows in Palestine is figs. And even then, it's iffy. Matter of fact, the only fig tree I can remember didn't have any figs on it. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus cursed it. So yeah, Simon's uh, peeping on Mary Mags. Back with John the Baptizer, Jesus is trying to talk John out of publicly speaking out against Anapis and Herodias' marriage. The romantic lives of rulers and kings has been and always will be of enormous fascination to people. It was covered at length in Torah. I don't see why you feel the need to focus on he's it now. He's a client king or tetrarch or whatever. He's one of us and he's unlawful. I don't know, but I feel uncomfortable with this scene. Yeah, I felt the same way. Like, I don't have any, like, okay, from the artistic license, I suppose you could argue that, like, maybe John shouldn't have done that because it's not, like, expressly commanded of him by god but it feels to me like the bible talks about it as if john was doing the right thing i mean it it even makes it seem like that was john's i don't want to say destiny but jesus knew what was waiting for john at anapis's court but jesus yeah 
but Jesus says something that I, I, I cannot, Jesus in the chosen says something that I cannot, I can't, I can't attribute to the actual Jesus of the Bible. Basically his argument is that Torah already speaks out against the sin of marrying your brother's wife in length. So John shouldn't go preach it because he wouldn't be telling the Herods anything they don't already know. Like, I don't like that. What, I'm, I'm supposed to not preach on, on sin because it's written in the Bible and people have heard the, the sermon over or, or heard a sermon on any given Bible verse every Sunday? Am I never supposed to preach on Moses yeah. or the creation or Noah because everyone's heard those stories before? They almost presented Jesus like, or Jesus talks to John like he's too harsh. Like he's just like, he shouldn't go around condemning stuff. And I mean, if you read Jesus in the gospels, you would never get that impression that he would. I mean, I don't get that impression that he would rebuke John for this. I just don't like it. It's just something. It it just is wrong. But uh, John keeps insisting on confronting Anapis. And the reason being is that what's the worst Anapis going to do? Arrest me. I'm a radical. It's what we do. I mean, I understand that Jenkins is always trying to find new t-shirt slogans and merch opportunities. So I get why that line is in there. Because I guarantee you on the Chosen Shop, uh, before Season 3 comes out, you can buy a radical It's What We Do shirt. I can see that coming. I'm going to look right now. I bet it's already up. But I just... I I don't understand why this scene's even in here. Uh, I guess the the biggest thing, I I guess what Jenkins is trying to do is that John the baptizer is anxious for Jesus to really get things going. And, uh, you know, it's been 30 years, he says. And, And so he wants Jesus to actually start being the Messiah. And Jesus is cautiously taking his time and planning things out. He even assure, but he does assure the baptizer that that things will happen soon. He has a plan. Right now, he's he 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 tells John that right now he's working on a sermon, a real big one. Oh man, it's gonna knock their socks off. It's gonna really shake things up. Which I said we're in the fifth episode of season two, and we haven't reached the Sermon on the Mount yet. Good night, Jenkins. Why don't you take a little more time? Yeah. Need six seasons. I'm not seeing that shirt yet, but it, I, I agree with you. It'll be there. Then I will say that uh, I feel like they just were trying to keep their, you know, they, they presented John as like this crazy guy, but I don't feel like John was crazy to Jesus. That's what I, I think I didn't like. Like, yeah, John probably appeared to be pretty weird to a lot of people. I mean, he was certainly, you know, in the a, Jewish uh, life a, or an eccentric yeah, you know, he lived on the fringe of society, I, eating bugs. That's probably not normal even for back then. Uh-huh. I mean, listen, but I never got get the impression that he was that Jesus considered him insane, right, or, or crazy. And it's almost like <laughs> Jesus does consider him crazy, and and that like he just goes off and does whatever he wants, and he doesn't even listen to Jesus's advice. He's just like, I, I get like. Uh, like the fact that he was anxious for Jesus to get started because there is that, that one verse in the gospels where he sends his disciples and he's like, are you the Messiah? So right. there was some, you know, there's evidently some doubt, but the craziness I felt like could have been down back. I agree. But John's main point here, and it does set up probably my favorite part of this episode. 
was John tells his cousin, look, man, all I'm saying is that you're 30 years old. Eventually, you're going to have to stop taking your time and start doing things. Then Jesus responds, David was a shepherd and in the wilderness and on the run for 30 years before he became king. Yes, and then he ruled for 40 years. He killed a bunch of people, made horrible mistakes, and then he died in bed with a teenager he was not married to. Maybe not the best analogy, but also she was there to keep him warm. I know, Everyone knows. I know, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, that's... <laughs> Next time I teach on David, that line will get into my sermon because it's great. It, it, it's true. <laughs> Everything is true. And then I do also like how Jesus is like, yeah, but listen, no, that teenager was in bed to keep him warm in his old age. He wasn't doing anything. I know, Jesus. I know. I'm just kidding. Well, you're not the only one that can make a joke every once in a while. I saw those first three episodes. You were cracking wise every chance you got, except for in that third episode where he only said three words. But Jesus does assure his cousin that he knows what he's doing. And John then looks at the cousin and says, this is really happening, isn't it? It's pretty heavy, man. Are you ready? And Jesus looks at John and says, I'm always ready to do God's word, but that doesn't mean it will be easy. And then John tells Jesus, you know, I'm here for you. I'm just excited to see what you're going to do. I did like that last, I did not like the majority of that scene, but from like the David line to the end of the scene, I really liked the the brotherhood these two guys shared. You could, it, it did look like they were related and they grew up together and, and, you know, they knew each other, which I think that if you just take the Gospels uh, as is, you don't get, you don't get a visual of this relationship that probably existed between these two guys. Yeah, I, th- I th- agreed. I thought the second half of this scene was really good, and I just wish the setup to it had been a little better. Meanwhile, Atticus is hot on Simon's trail. Literally. Simon left a hot campfire just burning on the side of the woods, and Atticus comes up and is like, oh, that's hot. Hot on this trail. And he had, <laughs> <laughs> he had like the nice laid-out bricks on the side. It's like, isn't this guy supposed to be like stealth? Yeah, Simon took the time to make it a a rustic good housekeeping campfire nook. <laughs> it could have belonged in like a nice outdoors magazine. And then Smokey the Bear was actually in the background just shaking his head going, how many times do I gotta tell you guys? <laughs> make sure your embers are out before you leave camp. Smokey only lives in America. He only cares about the American force. I'm sorry. Shmulky was sitting there in the background. <laughs> 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 That's the Jewish counterpart, Shmulky. <laughs> Back at the Chosen's camp, Mary Mags tells Rama the reason why she's been a turd lately. And it's because she saw some Romans earlier and got scared. And Rama's like, well, that doesn't make any sense that you got scared of Romans, but it's all good, I guess. It's all good. And then Mary rubs her temple... Because, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying these words. Mary rubs her temple because her demon sense is tingling. She's like, oh, demons nearby. <laughs> so in Dallas Jenkins' world, if you are demon possessed, you, again, like Harry Potter's scar, how it always burns whenever Voldemort gets a little bit close. Apparently, if you've been demon possessed, you get a little bit of a migraine if a demon gets in your vicinity. 
Evidently. Which makes no sense because Jesus, when he healed, healed 100%. Yet, except for that little demon radar he left in. De- Jesus only healed 99%, the demoniac. So they could always tell when a demon was coming around. It's dumb. It's real dumb. This whole scene is real dumb. Now, Matthew and Thomas hear the creepy Halloween CD that Simon heard earlier. And Thomas picks up a knife to defend the camp. Matthew picks up a spoon. That was a good scene. (laughs) And sure. And Thomas gives him this look like you're an idiot. And Matthew gives this look like, I know I've got autism. What do you want me to do? (laughs) (laughs) He could have like thrown a cucumber at him or something. And sure enough, squirted lemon in his eyes. <laughs> sure enough, wouldn't you know, the zombie slash demon possessed man from earlier in the episode just marches right into camp. And, uh, you know, Thomas is ready to stab the guy, and Matthew's ready to spoon him. But it's Mary Mags, of course, who approaches this demon possessed man. And the demon says, Lilith? <laughs> I thought that was you I smelled. How you doing, girl? I know we haven't met personally, but those seven demons you had in you last season, they just talk about you nonstop. I feel like I know you. So how you been? (laughs) 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 So stupid. Sometimes I write things. Actually, I didn't hate this scene. I didn't like, either, like it was the sick. way I described it. Sometimes I write things, and I know they're going to be stupid, but then I say them, and I go, yeah, I was right. That was really stupid. <laughs> but it's also pretty funny. I wonder, I wonder why the Bible doesn't tell us anymore about Mary's seven demons. I don't even... It's just like one comment in one gospel maybe because we're not supposed to highlight mary magdalene maybe but or maybe god jenkins the holy spirit was like hey father um i'm down here inspiring these gospel writers you want me to put in more about these demons and the father's like no nah, i don't think so you see uh dallas jenkins is going to be born and he's going to be just this weird <laughs> denominationalist community church dude he's definitely not getting into heaven but he's going to make this show that'll be pretty good and uh, we're going to need him a lot of, we need to give him a lot of room to just make up some weird, crazy stuff. So uh, just leave it with the one verse. Fill in the gaps. Yeah. That must have been why. But uh, This is all about Dallas. But Mary Mags isn't interested in demonic small talk. Instead, she says, I don't answer to Lilith no more. And the demon says, oh man, where are my manners? I'm sorry, my name's Belial. And I am actually, you're going to laugh about this, I'm the proud spawn of Oriax. Now, real quick, I did a, a, a little research on these names, tried to figure out where in the world Jenkins pulled these out of, and man, oh man, I cannot tell you how deep down the demonology rabbit hole I fell yesterday. <laughs> I've been down this rabbit hole too. No. Not, I, probably not as far as you, but I got into it once. I can't remember where. Oh, it was about um, Alistair Crowley the story of the. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, uh, it was when, you know, that horrible Noah movie mm. with the angels and the demons. That's how I got into it, because there were the, you know, the fallen angels and whatnot. And I was looking up the history behind that. All right. So uh, some the someday, dear listeners, good Lord willing, 
I will tell you all about the weird and fantastic things that I have found about the history of demonology and the weird people that invented it. But just for the sake of where these names came from, apparently in the apocryphal book of Jubilees, Belial was the last evil angel to be cast out of heaven. Now, according to the actual Bible, Belial is just the Hebrew word for wicked. Oriax is, according to the occult book, the lesser key of Solomon. Oriax is like Satan's second in command, and he controls legions of demons. So according to the Gospel of Jenkins, we're not messing around. What we have here is a man possessed by the son of the second most powerful demon that is not spoken about in any part of the canonical Bible on our hands. We have the most powerful pretend demon there is. Basically, uh, if, the only thing that'd be worse is if Satan himself was right here, or Oriax, the third most powerful demon. <laughs> is uh, And he's just walking through the woods. Yeah, making zombie noises. But Mary Mags is... Because he doesn't have anything better to do. Right. But Mary Mags is like, listen, Zach, if I wanted to hear weird facts, I'd watch Jeopardy. Right now, I want to know what Zombie Boy's real name was before he became a zombie. And I don't want Mary Mags to cut me, so we're going to continue. (laughs) The demoniac can't speak his name because the demon won't let him. Then the demon moves to attack Mary Mags, but before he can, Simon just flies out of the tree and tackles the man to the ground. And you know when this happens... See, there are benefits. To, to being a creeper? There are benefits to being in a tree. There you go, yeah. all you stalkers. I mean, you, might, you might save someone's life. All the di- you might save somebody from a demon. You never know. Let me know, uh, listening audience, if you've ever saved anyone from a demon while in a tree. Spying on them. Uh, but, but That's going to be my alibi if I ever get caught creeping on someone in a tree. I'm going to be like, I'm just here watching out for demons. Right. So... You know, when this happened, Matthew was like, I'm glad this other strange dude I never saw before flew into camp and took care of all this. Y'all don't want to see what I can do with a spoon when I'm backed into a corner. (laughs) But the demon gets the upper hand. He gets on top of Simon, and it looks like it's going to be a series wrap for the zealot. But from out of nowhere, Jesus, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and John the baptizer come running into camp, and Jesus commands the demon to leave the man. And the man just begins to sob. Then the baptizer is acting like he's at Monday Night Raw, and he's just like, yeah! Woo! That's what I'm talking about, JC! Woo! I'm so stupid. And then Jesus talks to the formerly demon-possessed man, and and he comforts him, and and the former demoniac tells him his name is, is Caleb. And while this is happening, Mary's in the background grabbing her bags, and she's just leaving. And then Jesus greets Simon the Zealot and asks him to go for a walk. I feel like, you know, Dallas had all the stuff that he injected, and yet this exorcism is, like, so anticlimactic. Yeah, but I kind of like it because it's the most realistic thing that's happened so far in this episode. Yeah, it probably was. I was expecting, you know, some more flair out of Dallas, but he's just like, yeah. Yeah, it was very, very, I liked it. Uh, But then we cut to our favorite frenemy. Our favorite frenemy Pharisee, Shmuel. And what's Shmuel doing? Shmuel. He's at the Sanhedrin office filing a report, I think. I'm not actually sure what he's he's doing, so I'll just 
give you his words that I painstakingly transcribed for your audio pleasure. He tells a man behind a desk, we need to update a report submitted last week about a man who performed a miracle on Shabbat and then told the healed person to commit a sin and to file an addendum linking this report to my original petition. Wait. And the official that Shmuel is talking to is exactly like I was. Going like, what? You just slow down, try again there, big hoss. So Shmuel does slow down a little bit. He's like, look, remember when I filed a petition about a miracle worker in Capernaum named Jesus of Nazareth? Well, I have evidence that... Uh, the same man performed a miracle this past Shabbat at the pool of Bethesda. And the official tells the Pharisee and his and or tells the Pharisee Shmuel and Shmuel's shady buddy that uh, his original petition was already brought before the Sanhedrin and thrown out. It's over. You can't bring that back. Turns out that a member of the council testified that the Capernaum incident was an anomaly and the Sanhedrin shouldn't waste their time with it. Now, Shmuel leaves the office, and he's super grumpy because he knows that the member of council who shot down his petition was none other than our boy Nico, Nicodemus. God told Nicodemus, we need to start a petition to bring Nick back because oh, I miss him. I think he'll be back. I mean, if they're going to bring back... Uh, Maybe. If they're... They're going to bring back Quintus. You better, I, I, they better bring back Nicodemus too. I'm going to find Jenkins and I'm going to make him fix every single thing that he got wrong. Be like, what were you thinking, Jenkins? Well, I just thought it'd be, no, you don't think. Stop thinking. I think it's what got you in this mess. <laughs> you know, uh, I feel like Quintus doesn't have any other job opportunities at the moment. Nicodemus probably does. Probably. So he's probably a little tougher to get. Then again, uh, yeah, it's not like Quintus is, Hollywood's just knocking Quintus's door now and going, hey, we need a terrible bald actor. <laughs> what, you, what, you can't find any good bald actors? Well, Brian Cranston's really busy and uh, he doesn't want to shave his head again. <laughs> Quintus, uh, the dude who plays him, looks a lot better with hair. I don't know why they didn't just... Maybe just to look, make him look even more annoying, they had him shave his head. Because it's, like, super shiny. Yeah, he has a shiny, shiny head. But, uh, yeah, so he's mad that Nicodemus has is, is shot down his original petition, but Schmuel's buddy tells him not to worry about it. See, he has friends that are a little more powerful than Nico, and they would be very interested in Jesus of Nazareth, especially after what happened on Shabbat. Jesus and Simon are walking. It's a new scene. Uh, Simon asks Jesus uh, why he healed his brother Jesse. Jesus responds, how else could I have gotten your attention? You're a zealot, so you're fearless, and I could use a guy like you. That is, I could use a guy like you if you understood the true nature of my mission. And Simon's totally on board 100%. He just needs to be pointed in the right direction. He said, point out who I need to kill, bro. I'm here for you. I'll stab him. He's like, no, no, I got Mary for my stabbing. Jesus then asks for Simon's knife, and Simon gives it to him. He's like, hey, I love that knife. My mom gave it to me. And uh, I just think it's my last memory of her, for she died of leprosy. And she's like, whoops, and just throws it in the water. <laughs> That's exactly how it went. I mean, Simon doesn't say anything, but I just added that to add a little spice. I mean, I mean, Jenkins is flying fast and loose. Why can't I? That's right. I mean, we can add stuff. <laughs> yeah. Jesus tosses Simon's uh, knife in the water. And then he uh, tells Simon not to worry. 
because Jesus is going to get him a better sword for too long. Just be patient. And Simon asks, I feel like if I was Simon, I'd be like, Lord, can I pick that back up? Like maybe I can use it for like slicing vegetables or, you know. Hey, and a, like a f- there are other uses hey. for knives other than stabbing people. I mean, in a few chapters, you're, uh, or in Jenkins' time, in five seasons, you're going to tell us to go and buy a sword for protection. Um, we won't have to buy one if you just let me pick that up. He's like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I'm going to get you a better one. A liter or a literary one. But Simon does ask, he's like, Jesus, I've been training with that weapon my whole life. I'm ready to fight. Um, why do you need me if you don't need my weapon? And then Jesus steps on him like like a bug. He's like, first of all, I don't need you. I don't need anything. Like, calm down. Calm down, actor who plays Jesus. I would never tell Jesus himself to calm down, but calm down, actor. Calm down. First of all, I don't need you. <laughs> I have everything I need. However, I wanted you. No one gets into the Chosen because of their skills. Clearly, these all people aren't all picked for their acting abilities. Just know that I wanted you and let that be enough for now. And as Jesus and Simon walk away, literally three seconds after they leave the frame, <laughs> here comes Atticus. <laughs> he just bends down and picks up Simon's knife out of the river. I'm like, how does no one notice this guy? <laughs> he's so stealth he's so secret service that they can't even see him um yeah i kind of chuckled at that too i was like is this some kind of like artistic thing like obviously we're supposed to see that time has passed but uh it was yeah that was a weird shot i mean it would have been really really easy to do like a time lapse thing like have them walk off and then have the sun set a little bit so you see the shadows yeah. move or whatever, and then have Atticus come on. But no, Atticus is just four feet away from them at all times. <laughs> they must have been uh, rushing to get filmed that day. Oh, but get They're like, come on, we're shooting this all in one. Now, and if you're thinking, dear listener, Zach, you promised, you promised this episode was going to get real weird at the beginning. But talking about it, buckle in, buckle up. I d- seriously, I, d- I can't warn you enough or prepare you for what's about to happen if you haven't watched the episode. <laughs> So Mary Mags is crying. It's night. She's walking down a lone road. And I'm asking to myself, I'm bouncing on my seat. I'm excited. I'm like, are we finally getting rid of her? Oh, please. Please, Mr. Jenkins, please say we're finally getting rid of her. You know you're not getting rid no, of her because she no. shows up later in the gospel. No, we're just getting more of her. You're- we're having this weird side story. Because Mary walks into Jericho and she walks down a dark alley. And up to a bouncer guarding the door of an establishment. And the bouncer says, Hey there, little doggy. We don't accept your kind around here. If half your chromosomes ain't Y, then you ain't a guy. So you need to say bye-bye. That's not a quote, but I really and wish Mary says, that's what he said. That's pretty good. We don't serve women here. Tell Throw that someone is here to see him. Tell Throw that I'm here to see him. And I'm like, who is Throw? Oh, don't worry. You're going to find out who Throw is in just a minute. And then she takes off her head covering. So the bouncer knows she's serious, I guess. I don't know. This scene is really confusing and out of nowhere. Was it like, I'm a rebel? Yeah. Like Ugh. like Jewish women Look typically my... walk around with their head covered, but watch me rip this hey. off. I'm not the good person that you think I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a good girl. Go get Throw. Okay. Who should I say wants to see him? <laughs> Then Mary Mag says, quote, Tell them someone from the Hammer wants to win back her money. Tell Throw 
Someone from the hammer wants to win back her money. That is a quote. I'm not <laughs> paraphrasing that at all. Tell throw someone from the hammer wants to win back her money. What is going on? What is happening? <laughs> Are we about to learn that Mary Mags wasn't just Jesus's number one apostle, but she was also a first century female underground gambler? What is happening? It appears that way. This show is, (laughs) to quote the prophet Ozzy Osbourne... What is happening? Tell throw someone from the hammer. Who is the hammer? I'm telling you, I've said this. I've said this over and over again. I said, Mary's going to turn out to be like a legit gangster. I said this from season one. And everybody's making fun of me going, oh, you're you're ridiculous. Why do you always say, why do you always say Mary has a switchblade and cutting people? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because she's a member of the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, <laughs> what is happening in this episode? Oh. And then we never really go any further with Mary just yet, because then we cut back to John the baptizer, who's standing on the side of the road, and, and Jesus comes up to his cousin and says, so, you really confronting the Herods? And John's like, yep. And Jesus tells him, I understand, I'm going to be breaking my silence again soon. Then John goes, soon. Such a strange word could mean anything and then i go oh the baptizer just said the same thing jesus said in an earlier episode that's a special is that where that came from i felt like it came from somewhere but i couldn't figure it out yeah you know if you'd watch these episodes each week with us um (laughs) i don't like i don't love the chosen so it's just like it goes in and out but then jesus tells his cousin that he loves him and the two embrace and john thanks jesus for letting him see the miracle of healing the demoniac And John heads off, no pun intended, to meet with Herod. When I originally wrote this synopsis, I wrote then John heads off. And then I said, man, if I was cleverer, I would have thought of that on purpose. It it took me a second to get that, but I finally get it. Pretty good pun. Thank you. Now, Atticus, (laughs) I forgot about this until right now. Atticus is in a tree watching this all go down. Tree number four in this episode. (laughs) While Jesus watches his cousin leave, he cries. And I loved like that scene. I really did, because he knows that John's walking to his death. And he just takes a moment to to weep for his cousin that he loves before walking back to camp. I feel like Dallas did a really good job with the interaction between them, except for that like the the whole crazy bit. Like if he could have just dropped that Everyone would love the relationship between them, but instead he kind of ruins it by making John out to be this like weirdo. You know what relationship I really love though? The relationship between Schmuel no. and his friend. And you know we have to have another Schmuel scene before we can end this episode. Just plotting. So we're back with Schmuel plotting and his friend, and they're discussing how to get Jesus back on the radar of the Sanhedrin. Schmuel's friend tells Schmuel that they need to present their case against Jesus in a way that splits the council. They need to word their argument against Jesus so that the Pharisees would interpret it one way and the Sadducees would interpret it another. And when emotions are all riled up and the Sanhedrin is split, all the decisions come down to politics, meaning that the influence of Nicodemus would be lessened, apparently. So the two sit down to pin Jesus's works in a way that will get the Sanhedrin's attention. Now, I know you were waiting for this. Back to Mary Magdalene. 
She finally, <laughs> she finally sees, she's finally able to see Throw. And guys, this is the, probably the most ridiculous part of this whole movie. Throw is a nickname for a man named Jethro. I don't know why, but that's terrible. <laughs> I, I imagine him to be like some like gang lord or something. No, he's just and some he's just old, like this bartender. old scrawny Jewish guy. But Mary tells Throw that she's here for one reason and one reason alone. Gambling. And she's got money to gamble with. And then she just pulls out a purse. And I'm like, did she steal Jesus's treasury? Is that literally what just happened to this show? Is that what it's supposed to be? Where else did she get money? They were just talking about how they were all out of money a few minutes ago. What, you think Mary's oh, yeah. letting them live in, in squalor while she's got got a side pouch of gold on the side? Did Mary... Wow, uh, this is, well, now we know where Judas learned it from. So, Mary it, job, Mary, it turns out Jethro is actually short for Judas. So, um... <laughs> So, yeah, Mary, Dallas takes a left turn by making Mary legitimate gangster, member of the Hammer, whatever that is. <laughs> I can see the, 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 um, I can see the meeting now where they're brainstorming. And they're like, hey, we need a, a group, a nefarious group for Mary to be a part of. The Hammer? Perfect. Let's just move on from there. No one else come up with another idea. <laughs> So Mary just straight up steals Jesus's treasury and she's going to gamble with it. What is happening? <laughs> this isn't this isn't artistic license. This is making decisions that should have implications throughout the rest of the gospel. This is covered in the gospels because, you know, Mary's like, grace. hey, the hammer wants to throw hey. down. <laughs> Get out the carts. <laughs> It's time to play. It's time to play Caesarea Hold'em. Bases are wild. <laughs> back at okay, and this this even goes even crazier for me because back at camp, Peter is introducing Simon to the gang, and that is when so Mary's been gone for well over an hour, and they just now notice that she's gone. I want to. I want to. Jesus told Rama to check on her. Oh. Right. That's true. That is incredibly good. Good point because after the demoniac situation and Mary steals Jesus's money and then walks away, he's like, "Hey, uh, Rama, why don't you go check on Mary?" Rama's like, "We'll do, Jesus." Rama didn't. Rama didn't do that at all. Apparently, because <laughs> <laughs> because when Peter when, like, when Peter's uh, like, "Hey, has anybody seen Mary?" Rama's like, "I saw her earlier at camp. Jesus told me to check on her, but I was like, I ain't doing that." I got other crap to do. I've got to. I've got to practice my hooked on phonics. So Peter runs off to find Jesus, who's working on his big sermon. Then Jesus tells Peter to take Matthew and run to Jericho to find the woman formerly known as Lilith. Now keep in mind, Jesus knows everything, and Jesus sees everything. So Jesus could have been like, she's in Throws Gambling Den, going by the name The Hammer. <laughs> but he didn't do that instead he was like hey matthew what's that verse that you guys have been trying to memorize you remember when mary's picking lumpy apples in the beginning she was quoting a verse something about if i ascend into heaven you are there if i make my bed deep in the depths you are there keep that in your thoughts <laughs> what a cryptic terrible way <laughs> to tell someone to look for somebody 
You mean she'll be down? Ah, she'll be somewhere under the ground. I could tell you the exact place, but uh, I'm trying to write the Sermon on the Mount here. Trying to figure out how to tell people they're salty. Him and Matthew needed some quality time together. They wouldn't have got any if Jesus had just told them. And then they need to be, uh, be friends. Then boom, end of episode. First cliffhanger in the Chosen series. <laughs> what is happening in this episode? I don't know. I I'm I'm just dumbfounded. I'm absolutely dumbfounded. I got to the end of this episode and I literally go, "What in the world was that?" Like, 45-minute episode, the first half an hour was all pretty much paint-by-numbers chosen. Last 15 minutes, just, woo, Mary's the hammer. I think the last scene was, like, the most controversial scene for the audience of, like, any in chosen history. That's at least what Dallas was saying. With uh, Jesus, like, working on his sermon and not knowing what he's going to say, like, there are all kinds of people. Yeah, I didn't even think about that as a second as being controversy controversial oh well he got a bunch of kickback on that i kind of agree with it like i don't necessarily agree with that view of jesus but um yeah that was like a bunch of people were mad at him for that scene i think that it's perfectly reasonable to think that jesus thought about what he was going to say before he said it yeah i don't know because i mean it's hard because like uh you know when he's talking to the pharisees like he goes toe-to-toe with their whole their whole group and like never he never stumbles over his words, right? He's just like, like he knows what he's going to say. He's on point every time. He's ready for every argument. And then they show him like struggling to find the words of his sermon. Well, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but. But there's a difference. I think that I, don't, I, I think that I've been in like in a couple of debates with people like, you know, Bible studies debates, not like fighting, fighting, but. For some reason, when the pressure's on, my brain works in a different way where I can click and make points and and shoot back, but I still spend hours agonizing over a sermon every week. I'm sorry, but at the end of this episode, the most controversial part, maybe the reason why I wasn't fired up is because I was still reeling over the fact that Mary's the hammer going to go gamble with Jesus's money (laughs) with a guy named Throw. I'm sorry, maybe I was too busy with that (laughs) fact that that, that the other one just kind of flew over my head. nobody cared about that i mean i'm I'm still just trying to figure out what the crap i just saw with throw first of all if you're apparently you're the only one who didn't see mary as a gangster you know while reading the biblical text i'm sorry i saw mary as a gangster since season one i did not expect jenkins to go full-on gangster have her go to a speakeasy and start gambling with jesus's money didn't see that one coming at the beginning of the episode i'll be honest Maybe he listens to this podcast for ideas, and he was like, man, that would be a great idea to make Mary into a gangster. All right, let's do our rating. Scriptural accuracy. (laughs) (laughs) And keep in mind, Scott Scott gave this a 23. Scott is wrong. Scott is wrong. (laughs) Scott's score should just be thrown out. Oh, no, we'll keep them. I won't add him up at the end, but we'll keep him. Because Scott gave this a 23. Scott's a heretic. He must be. So when you listen to this, Scott, now we know that you really love Mary Magdalene the mostest. Um, scriptural accuracy, I'm going to have to give it like a five. <laughs> there's like several scenes in here <laughs> that are just, uh, just like, no. I, man, I do feel like there's like artistic liberty and then there's like, just stop and stick with the text. And if that means it has to be three seasons instead of six, 
the better for it. So, uh, it, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm down on this episode big time. Five. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a ten only because, like I said, I think if you split it up, half of it, you know, I'm gonna have to give it a twelve then because of what I'm about ready to say. I'm gonna give it a twelve because. Half of this episode is scriptural. It's good. I liked it. I liked seeing Jesus cry when John left. I liked seeing their camaraderie and whatnot. But then, what in the world <laughs> was the last third of this episode? What? What is it? I'm not. I have no problem with Jesus rehearsing the Sermon on the Mount. None. I have no problem with how he healed the demoniac. I mean. Even when considering the entire episode, I don't have that big of a problem with uh, Creepy John and his craziness. Mary robbed Jesus, turned out to be in a gang called the Hammers, and is now an illegal gang or, or gambling den in Jericho with a man named Throw. If any of that was even remotely true, you know Mark would have put it in his gospel. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a 12. It, and that's being generous. Uh, entertainment value. Fair. Honestly, uh, I w- I think last episode was my favorite episode right. ever that I've seen. I don't think I've seen all of the the first ones, but I think it was my favorite episode. Simon and the and his brother being healed. Uh, and this one I think was my least favorite of all. Uh, it's kind of between this one and the one where they're all sitting around the fire the whole episode. That wasn't, but this one, like that one, I didn't necessarily have any problems with like biblically or like entertainment wise, but was, uh, did you get bored? Was it hard to watch? Yeah, I, I was like, I was losing it towards the end. And, and part of it's just cause I know like the Mary story as isn't actually in the Bible and doesn't really interest me that much. Cause I just roll my eyes every time Dallas goes off on a Mary binge. We, I've broken you I, of your infatuation I, with Mary, even, I, even your fake infatuation I, with Mary. So what are you giving this entertainment? He'll join a entertainment value. I'm giving this like entertainment. Uh, uh, there were some cool scenes like with Simon and the, uh, demon guy and uh, I'm gonna give it like a 12 okay Scott gave it a 23 I'm wrong I'm gonna say something because this category is entertainment I'm not counting the scriptural I'm was I engaged in this episode from start to finish more so than any other episode <laughs> every time I thought to myself I'm gonna get a little bit bored Jenkins threw something crazy at me all the way up to the end. And I'm sorry, I have never been more entertained watching I, anything in recent memory than Mary <laughs> calling herself the hammer in front of throw. I, I have to, according to our scale, give this a 25. This was the most entertaining episode I have watched of this show and any other show I have watched ever. Only because it was so wrong and I was so just slack jawed and in awe. But I was engaged from start to finish. Fair, fair. Oh, see, I was the opposite. I was like, oh, please end. I can't take it any longer. Uh, parental control. Can Mary and Throw, like, if Mary and Throw were in a gang together, could they go by, like, Throw the Hammer? Maybe. It's such Parental control. Maybe some scary scenes from the demon-possessed guy I mean, cutting himself. and straight up look like a zombie. Just being generally. Creepy. Yeah, just being generally demon-possessed. <laughs> uh, I'll give it, like, a 18. See, this one's a little... Scott gave it a 23. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Wrong, Scott. See, this one's a little bit hard for me because, yeah, you got... I'm going to knock five points off right away because the demon-possessed guy is uh, very frightening. Um, I'm going to knock ten points off after that because you see Mary Magdalene go from being annoying to just breaking bad real quick. She steals Jesus's money. She joins a gang. She talks with a dude named Throw. For that, I don't want my kid to watch that. Although, if my kid ever comes up to me and he goes, hey, dad, tell Throw him with the hammer and I want to see him. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Just one thing that's annoying about it is like there's no real explanation for why she does it. Like if they created some kind of like cool story behind it and actually explained it, maybe it would be like I'd be down with it. But it's just like she rubs her head because there's a demon and she's afraid of Roman people for yeah, no I apparent about, reason. You know and what? No, she, I'm taking you know, You're right. I've completely forgot about the uh, Harry Potter-esque scarred demon migraine that she gets. <laughs> that that just completely eliminates the whole idea of Jesus being able to heal 100%. I'm going from a 12 to scriptural accuracy. Yeah, I'm going to take it down to a 5 with you. That right there just makes me mad. So... Then we get to our last, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a 12 on parental control. Uh, and then we get to our last scriptural accuracy, or not scriptural accuracy, we already did that one. Then we get to our last one, uh, should you watch, is there any merit, are you going to recommend this episode to people? Uh, Scott gave this a 23. Not really. Scott is deceived by the evil one. Um, no, I'm probably not going to recommend this to really anybody. I don't even think the good scenes with Simon the zealot and John can redeem it. So I'm going to give it like a, like a 10. Yeah. I'm going to give it a three <laughs> because the only people I would re- cause it doesn't further the story at all. It really doesn't. We're just treading water here at this yeah. point. I certainly don't, wouldn't want anybody to watch this. That doesn't have a preacher background that knows better to with the whole, with the whole demon migraine and, and, and Mary's joining the street gang. Uh, but I will recommend this to every preacher friend I have from this point forward, because it is insane. <laughs> it is insane from start to finish. So I'm going to give it a three as well. This is unprecedented for the chosen. Uh, Scott gave it a 96, which is an A plus, but he is incredibly wrong. And so we're not counting his at all. Because he couldn't be bothered to even show up and record the episode. <laughs> Luke and I both... Sorry, Scott. <laughs> Luke and I both gave this a 45%, which is an oof, which is an F. This is the first time in the history of us reviewing Chosen that we gave an episode an F. I think this might be the first time that we gave anything below an A. So either the Chosen is either very good or very bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think it it should be like a warning that I, I don't know how other people feel about it, but I definitely feel like stay with the biblical text. Don't stray too far away, you know, take your liberties, but I'm definitely already starting to lose interest with the chosen because he's doing this so much and trying to drag it out. And, uh, I just hope he goes back to kind of what he was doing in the first season. But uh, there you have it. Episode five of season two of The Chosen. 45% an F. Jenkins, if you're listening. Big old F. I'm genuinely. Don't take our advice. And... <laughs> I, I genuinely want you to finance a Mary Magdalene Hammer movie. 
I want to know the story behind her being called the hammer and what she did prior to the demons. I know it won't be biblical, Jink. Maybe. But I, I want to know. Maybe they're going to tie in. They're going to tie in like the Norse gods, like Thor. That'd be awesome. And Odin and all them. And like they are probably like somehow related to all the fallen demons. And they're just going to, yeah, if they could just bring that together, then like it might be heresy, you know but I'll watch it. I, I'm pretty sure that Disney just bought The Chosen and they're going to bring it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Next season, we're going to see Jesus fighting oh. Iron Man. For Underwriters, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm demon-possessed Joseph Smith. Before we go, hey, Luke, I don't know if you've heard, hey, uh, I don't know if you've heard the news here lately, but um, oh. it turns out that the, uh, there's some big news when it comes to the makers of yardsticks. It, uh, it turns out they're not going to be making them any longer. Why not? Think about it. Don't people need to know? Yeah, but they're not going to make them any longer. Uh, Good night, uh, everybody. <laughs> stupid, stupid episode. So yeah. You think Mary Magdalene had any had any kids from her previous life? No. Could you have a kid if you're demon possessed? I don't know. That's my real question of the day. If you've been demon possessed and had a baby, please shoot us an email at rottenrighteous at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm gonna pull the listening audience on that one. Let us know your experience. You're, you're gonna get some Pentecostal on there. <laughs> So we don't have any Pentecostal listeners. Literally, our only listener is Colin, and he listens to each episode a hundred times a week to keep our numbers up. Colin, what do you, Colin, what do you think about this question? Hey, Colin, Colin, do you think do you, do you think if you're demon possessed, you have a baby? Let us know. I want to know. And so he just did it. I want to know if marijuana is legal in Texas because if it is, this whole episode makes a lot more sense now. Uh, I don't think it is. I can see. I can. Guam. I can see Dallas and his buddies going. What if we? Should... <laughs> oh man, that's harsh. But what if? Uh, what if Mary's a uh, in a gang? What? <laughs> Mary's in a gang. Yeah, yeah. Hear me out, bro. Hear me out. What was I saying? You said something about Mary being in a gang. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, what if Mary's in a gang and they're called and they're called the, the drills? No, no, bro. The drills are stupid. Let's call the hammer. Oh, yeah, the hammer. That's tight. What if, what if, um, <laughs> what if, what if, uh, she meets a guy named Jethro? Yeah, <laughs> Jethro, but let's call him Throw. <laughs> this could be the best episode ever, guys. <laughs> What is wrong with me?